Preparation is the key to success. So apply that to parenting and we're all going to feel better. I'm Natalie Tisdall, a journalist who decided enough is enough. I left a career that looked glamorous to do what I was scared of doing, going out on my own. I'm a married working mom of three. On this podcast, we're going to talk about issues that really matter. Why am I not sleeping? What's up with that diet everyone's talking about? Are my kids falling behind? How do I leave that job and start over? Welcome to the Natalie Tisdall Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. It's Natalie. And I have a college-age daughter, a high school daughter, and a son who is in middle school. But today, we're going to rewind things a little bit and talk about pregnancy, childbirth, and parenting those little ones today. Things have certainly changed, and I have gotten better. The three kids that we have, my first pregnancy 21 years ago, 10 years between my first and last, things were different. But I'm a big believer that we have to keep learning. I would never tell someone that what I experienced 21 years ago would be the same for them today. Science is better. Research is better. We absolutely have to keep learning. I am excited to bring you one of the best experts on the topic of pregnancy and parenting today. I'm a little bit biased because not only is she a parenting and pregnancy expert, but she started her career as a journalist, just like me. Her name is Sharon Maisel. She's a content creator, a speaker, a parenting coach. And she's a mom of four with a grandchild on the way. She is a trusted source for new parents. They turn to her for advice, for tips, and of course, for recommendations when they get frustrated with parenting and pregnancy issues. So when preparing for a family, you know, everyone has advice, right? Your neighbor has advice. Your grandma has advice. Your best friend has advice. Of course, it's well-intentioned, but some of that advice might not be so great. There are so many myths when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, and being a mom. And that is exactly what we are going to talk about today. So be sure to share this episode with anyone you know, starting a family. And if you're not in that time of life, I know you're still going to love this conversation with Sharon as we have fun talking about what we went through, and how things have changed through the years. So never stop learning. That's my motto today. Let's get started. Sharon joining me now. And I want to talk about this notion of the myths with pregnancy, even fertility, and then Sharon beyond that as a new mom. We tend, especially with social media, to jump right into this, I should be something, or the internet's telling me to do that. What are your thoughts on that? Gosh, you know, there's so much information out there these days, and it's such a blessing, right? Because we can Google any question that we have. We can go onto social media and find an answer. We can pick up books. We can read um, blogs. And then what happens, though, is that we don't find one answer. We find 50 answers. And a lot of times those 50 answers are contradictory, or they'll say one thing, you have to do it this way, or you have to feel that way, or you have to bounce back exactly like this. And then something else will say, no, do you have to do it that way? And you have Mm. to feel that way. And what happens with all this information is that parents get confused Mm -hmm. and overwhelmed and stressed. And it's a problem because this is a time when we are naturally, right? When you're pregnant or when you have a newborn, when you're naturally worried, am I doing everything right? Am I doing right by my new baby? Mm. And so the information is great, but we have to um, give ourselves some grace, I always say, as parents to really take a step back 
and a deep breath and say, you know what, aside from things that are about safety, it really doesn't matter one way or the other if I do it this way or if I do it that way. And I always tell parents, the most important thing that you should do is to do what feels best for you, to do what feels right for you, because that is what will be right for your baby. If you're doing something because you read it somewhere and it doesn't feel right for you, then it's not going to be the right thing for your family or for your baby. And to, to when parents hear that sort of permission, I, I see the stress just kind of melting off their shoulders because they realize, oh, I don't have to do it a certain prescribed way that everybody else is doing it or that everyone's telling me I have to do it. There is this notion of feeling what feels right for you and then doing what feels right for you. And when you feel good about that as a parent, then you become the best parent possible for your child. Yeah, it's it's interesting how social media in particular, I mean, obviously the internet, but social media in particular, it is so awesome in giving us ideas and teaching us things, but at the same time can work against us because first we go down a million rabbit holes of a million things we could be doing or should be doing, and we just spend too much time on it. But also that not knowing who to trust. What, what advice do you have for people in that? I know your Instagram in particular, love the information that you put out and how you help people, but how would you advise people on knowing what to trust in this big world of the internet? It's such a great question because there are so many um, competing experts out mm -hmm. there, if you will. And how do you know who or which expert is the one for you? So I always say to start with your doctor, your pediatrician, when you're talking about your kids, your OBGYN or your midwife, if you're talking about pregnancy, when you find a trusted medical professional who is um, knowledgeable about his or her profession and what the updated science and data and research shows, that's going to be your best expert to start with. So that's about the medical side and that's about the safety issues and that's about the latest recommendations and things like that. But then there's a whole nother part of parenting, which isn't about how many ounces of formula to feed my baby or at what age should my baby start solids. There's also how do I discipline my child mm. or do I uh, exclusively breastfeed or do I do both formula or, or, and, and breast milk? There's so many questions that parents will have that there is no one particular answer that is the right or only answer. And so after you've, you've taken the information from, from your medical professional that you trust, then you could find someone whose philosophy aligns with yours. So again, because any way is right. So if you're going to be the type of parent that wants to make sure that your baby, I'll give, I'll use this example, that your baby is sleeping through the night at four and a half months old, right? I'm not passing judgment on whether you should or you shouldn't. That's a personal choice. There are going to be experts on social media, on the internet, mm -hmm. in books that will give you tips and strategies on how to do that. If you're going to be the type of parent that says, no, I, I'm going to allow my baby to sleep however he or she wants to and for however long he or she wants to and or I'm going to bring my baby into the bed with me and or I'm going to to you know let my baby out I'm going to hold my baby there's so many different ways of helping your baby sleep and then you could find an expert that says okay there will be no sleep teaching no sleep training no crying no right there's so many different ways and there's no one right way to do it so when you find somebody who shares a philosophy with you, a parenting style with you, then you can trust that person if it works for you. But again, nobody is going to be that perfectly aligned yeah. source for you because 
there's so many different ways of doing it. So I help my followers know that my information that I give, whether it's through my courses or through my coaching or on my social media, that I am doing everything from evidence-based medicine. I'm reading the journals. I'm interviewing the, the professionals, whether they're the doctors or the physical therapists or the feeding specialists. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading all of the current data and the research. So what I am talking about is evidence-based. But I also have a parenting philosophy that may not align with, with a parent. And so that's fine. I don't have to be the end-all and be-all expert for every single parent. And so there is so much out there, as we just mentioned, that a parent can really choose what works for them, even in terms of getting that advice and receiving that information. That is such important advice from well before you have a family, all the way through, you and I both have children in college and beyond, and remembering that it has to feel right to you. It just has to. It's almost like we know that the internet maybe has taught us that even more, that everybody's got an opinion. So let's go into a little bit of the the change since you've been in this industry and following and become an expert in parenting and pregnancy. So much has changed. I'm an eternal learner. I know you are as well, especially with the research that you do. So what's changed? And let's talk about some of the myths that maybe when we were pregnant, let's start with pregnancy, how those things have changed. What are some of those myths that people still talk about today, even on social media? So there's a lot of pregnancy myths. I think one of the ones that I always seem to get questions about is coffee for some reason, because there's a sense that you can't drink coffee when you're pregnant. And it's a myth because you can drink coffee when you're pregnant. And it's not if you are drinking the right amount of coffee or not exceeding what the recommendations are, Mm -hmm. which is around 200 milligrams of caffeine. So, you know, obviously if you're drinking a a espresso, right, which is highly caffeinated, that's going to be a different amount than if you're drinking decaf or lattes or something like that. Um, So 200 milligrams of caffeine is perfectly acceptable with with all experts and OBGYNs and midwives. And there seems to be this myth that just continues to perpetuate about um, you cannot have any coffee uh, when you're when you're pregnant, and I feel bad because so many parents. I just did a, a something recent on uh, social media about what pe- what moms in particular are looking forward to after they deliver. Some of the comments were like, "I can't wait to drink coffee again," and I'm like, "Oh, you could have had coffee all those nine months." <laughs> so it's just you know, in pregnancy, there's a lot of myths certainly that 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 perpetuate, and and of course with parenting and and in that newborn stage, there's a lot of myths that that perpetuate as well. Well, once again, that's evidence-based. So everybody, you you can know a little bit, the 200 milligrams, what else? (laughs) Pregnancy in particular that are are just myths. And, you know, I, I did find out with each of our three that we were having girl, girl, and then boy. However, I know that's not always hundred percent accurate in an ultrasound, but even the way you carry a baby, there are a lot of myths and everyone seems to think, Oh, you're having a boy. I can tell because it's this type of pregnancy or your stomach's out front or up high or whatever. Is any of that true? So I have four daughters and each time I was pregnant and I'd never found out what they were beforehand. And in, and in those days, certainly the ultrasound was not as, as precise as they are today. And we didn't have the NIPT tests, which are the, you know, which you can now see what the um, biologic sex of the baby is from the blood test. So I would literally be stopped in the street. People would stop me and say, you're having a boy because you're carrying out in the front. Your nose hasn't gotten bigger. Your hips haven't gotten wider. And I was convinced, <laughs> with, certainly with my first baby, that of course I'm having a boy everyone's told me I'm having a boy. And um, in the delivery room, we, you know, we had 
a video camera going and you can hear when the baby comes out and the doctor says, oh, it's a girl. You hear my husband saying, what? But we were told it's a boy. <laughs> but <laughs> her so, nose, her hips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But her nose, right? So yes, unfortunately for those moms and dads or expectant moms and dads who want to paint the nursery um, a particular color based on how they're carrying, none of those old wives tales are true. You So much of how you carry is based on your body type and uh, how you eat or how you exercise or how you don't eat and how mm. you don't exercise. Um, where you carry your weight when you're not pregnant, how you're feeling, what season it is. I mean, there's so many things that contribute to how big the baby is, right? But that contribute to um, how you carry. And there is nothing in the data or, or in reality that aligns how you're carrying with whether you're having a boy or a girl. And, and just remember, everyone will be, 50, will be correct 50% of the time. So if you have people say you're definitely having a girl they'll be correct around 50% of the time. <laughs> so funny. And so many things like this. Um, yeah. My children came out very different from the moment they uh, were born. One screaming and one just as happy and calm as could be. And I remember someone saying like, well, that's how they're going to be the rest of their lives. Anything about those first few moments, the first week that we can identify, is there any science base <laughs> to that? I, there is no science base that I know of, but I think, and, and you could probably speak to this as well, right? I think between the two of us, we have seven children. So I think that I, with my second child, um, when I was pregnant with her, she was, I used to call her my little boxer because she just moved so much more than my first child did. And she would really like be boxing all the time. And so in my head, I thought, oh, this must mean that she's going to be very active. Um, it happened to be true. She was much more active. She was walking before she even hit 10 months. But that's an anecdote. And that's my anecdote. An anecdote does not equal data. So is it true? Right? You'll hear parents say, oh, well, my baby, uh, as soon as he was born, he just was so stubborn and he's still <laughs> stubborn and he's 15. So is that true? Can it happen? Of course it can happen. Is, is it scientifically based that it will definitely happen? No. And, and I would caution, even though I'm guilty of this as well, but I would caution us as parents not to prejudge our children. Our children are unique and beautifully so unique. And if we can just honor them and their personalities as yeah. it emerges, that's a beautiful thing to be able to watch them grow into the people they are destined to, to become while we help along the way. And I think, you know, if we start with these preconceived notions of, oh, he's, he's a difficult child or, yes. oh, she's really shy, that, that really puts sort of a, a label on our kids that we don't, yeah. that they don't deserve. So, so I, you know, I, that's something that I think all parents struggle with and we're probably all guilty of it, but sometimes it helps if we take that step back and say, you know what? I'm not going to label her as, you know, shy or difficult or label him as wild or, you know, or, or hard to, or, or picky eater even, right? Even those kind of labels sometimes become self-fulfilling prophecies. So I, I always agree remind parents, yeah. yeah, like remind parents, especially in those early stages with newborns to just get to know your baby because just watching how your baby's personality shines through, you'll see it even from the early days. And then just let them develop and honor those those personality traits because it's so it's so much fun. Yeah, I mean to to have labeled thy one child that was screaming from the moment she was born would be very unfair because she was also a very colicky baby. And so for her to think later in life, I've been difficult since it. No, you haven't. You actually were born with some issues that were hard for us to discover. So I couldn't agree more. We don't want to put any of those labels on. So another myth. 
maybe not, not to say that don't say things like that because <laughs> they could certainly change. And she is actually such a lovely, wonderful, mature young woman. Now I would never want any of my kids to think that. Um, okay. So let's go into the baby toddler years and myths around um, some of those years. Sure. So I think, you know, you, you mentioned before about things that have changed over, over time and you know, people always say, you know, how much has changed, right? When what has changed from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, and a lot has changed. One of the things that maybe parents will hear from their mothers or mother-in-laws or grandmother or grandmother-in-laws is don't hold the baby too much because mm. you're going to spoil the baby. And that's something that has been passed down, certainly from generation to generation. And there's this fear that new parents have that if I'm constantly holding my newborn, that my baby will be spoiled. And that's really a myth when you're talking about newborns. So certainly, if you're talking about a one-year-old and you're constantly holding your one-year-old, that's something that you don't want to do. We want to encourage independence. But when you're talking about a three-week-old or a six-week-old mm-hmm. or even a two-month-old, you know, we have to remember that this child was just born a couple of weeks ago. And holding your baby is not going to spoil him or her. Holding your baby will give your baby a sense of security and attachment and comfort and knowledge that you are going to be there for him or her in a way that they can count on. And that's so valuable. So I I always remind parents that when you hear well-meaning people give advice, don't hold the baby too much, you know, you're going to spoil the baby. And it's just not true in the beginning. Really allow yourself that opportunity to hold the baby because your baby needs that comfort, right? Babies like to be rocked, like to be held, whether they're sleeping or crying. So don't ever feel that pressure to put the baby down because someone tells you you can't hold the baby. And, And I will say, just coming back to what we were talking about before, Also, don't feel that you can't put your baby down. If you need a break and you need just some time away for yourself, even if it's two minutes to go to the bathroom or five minutes to shower or 10 minutes to just run into your room, close the door and scream, right? Or cry, do it. Your baby will be fine. Even if you let your baby cry for five minutes alone in a safe space, because we also have to remind ourselves as parents that we're not just caring for a baby, we're also caring for ourselves. And it's okay not to hold your baby 24-7, and it's probably healthy for you to have that break. So I always, again, there's, there's so much in parenting that it's about finding the right balance. It's not a, you can only do it this way, you only can hold your baby all the time, or you can't hold your baby all the time. It's about finding a balance between what works for you and what feels right for you. Since starting my own business, I have discovered something I never knew I would enjoy so much. What is it? Making my own graphics. Maybe you've seen my YouTube cover templates, Instagram quotes, and carousels, also Facebook infographics. Can I tell you how much fun I'm having and how easy it is to make these on Canva. I even do it on my phone. It's that easy. If you're looking for a simple way to make graphics for social media, maybe school, I'm a teacher as well. So I use it for that or even for work. You're going to love Canva. There is a free version of the program, but the pro version so worth it. It's $119 and you can also pay monthly. I share my designs with my team at school and at home where we collaborate on designs and I'm going to give you 45 days free of Canva Pro if you go to my website, natalietisdall.com slash 
favorites, just click on Canva once you get there. I may get a small commission if you purchase through this link, but that's just to keep my website and my podcast going. So thank you. Once again, natalietisdall.com slash favorites and click on Canva. Well, I, I want to talk more about kind of the, the baby toddler years and some of those myths, but you, you've just said something that I think is really important. And another myth is that you have to be a perfect mom and boy, I tried really hard to be that. And I failed miserably. And then I felt like a failure. Like the things are just going to happen. Your body is changing and that that's okay. You know, we see more than ever today. Social media is a blessing, but it also has a way of making us feel bad about ourselves if we're not in check in knowing that it's going to take some time to get used to this. My body is going to take some time to bounce back if it bounces back physically, but that notion and that whole thing that we see now, I don't ever remember, do you, the, the term mom shaming when we were new moms? Not when we were new moms. It's definitely, I think it's part of the explosion of information and accessibility mm. to that information. Um, in the olden days where you just had, you know, there wasn't 24 seven news, uh, TV news, and you just had, uh, there wasn't the internet, right? So you just had newspapers and you just had playgroups or playground mom talk. You, you had a much smaller circle of, of advice being lobbed in you. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, um, these days, we have this explosion of opportunity to interact with other moms and dads who are going through the same thing that you're going through, which is that blessing. But then you also have this notion of, wow, everybody is doing so much better than I am. And and they're telling me to do it this way, and they're making me feel bad about my choices. Mm. And why does everybody on social media look like they have it all together? Because I don't feel that way. And so this sense of feeling that my life is horribly imperfect compared to everybody else's life on social media is just not true. Everyone is struggling, but not everybody is presenting the struggles. And the mom shaming, I think, is really such a shame that it's happening because everyone's just trying to do their best. Mm. And everybody is just trying to get through the day. And it's hard to get through the day when you have a baby or a toddler or a a school-age kid or a teenager. It is hard to get through the day. And When you have someone saying to you, or you perceive that someone is saying to you, well, you're having a hard time because you didn't do this right. Or Mm -hmm. if only you did that with your child, things would be fine. That's not good for your own psyche. And, And I think that's so much of what I do or try to do as a parenting expert is to help not only inform, but also empower parents to be able to feel um, secure in their choices as a parent and to feel secure once they've gathered the information to make those choices and then be able to um, say, yeah, this is what works for me and for my unique baby and child. And so I'm going to kind of ignore all the noise that I'm hearing from the internet, from social media, from other moms in the playground or dads. It's not just mom shaming, it's also dad shaming. But I think this sense of security in your own abilities as a parent and security in your child's ability as a child really goes a long way in helping to give a parent the ability to have confidence in their their family and their journey as parents. Yeah. And I think that's such an important lesson for all of us to learn and to internalize and to continuously remind ourselves about. Yeah. And some really good examples of that breastfeeding versus formula feeding, you know, feeling guilty. It didn't work for you or letting people say something about that, that then guilts you like, don't, 
feel guilty for anything as long as you're doing your best and you're doing the research and you're trying. But I, I think that's an example. And then mom's going back to work. You know, maybe they need to go back to work, but they look at other people on social media and they feel guilty. So th- th- those are just a few examples that that come to mind when you talk about that. Yeah. I mean, the breastfeeding formula one is a great one. It's so important for moms to know that breastfeeding, it does not always come naturally to all new moms. It's not always possible for all new moms. And while breast milk is an incredible gift that you can give to your child, if you can't, formula is another incredible gift that you can give to Mm -hmm. your child. And this sense of if you're not breastfeeding or pumping and, and bottle feeding the breast milk, that you're less than or that you're an imperfect mother, is such a shame because it's not true. It's just not true at all. I love the example that you gave about the working, um, going back to work. Another example that comes up a lot, certainly on social media, is starting to feed your baby solids. There's a very big movement now and evidence-based that you can start giving your baby finger foods, not just purees when you start solids at six months old. There are some people who become very militant, I will say, about that you could only do it this way or only do it that way. And it stresses parents out because if they're not comfortable, right, the, there's, there's a sense of purees, I'm more in control, I can spoon mm. feed my baby. That's fine. Um, there's also this sense of, oh, I have to give my baby finger food. It's called baby led weaning and let um, the baby self feed. That's wonderful too. These are both great options. And, and again, back to what we keep on saying, if it doesn't feel right for you as a parent, right, if you don't feel comfortable giving your baby only purees or only finger foods, then your baby will sense that you're not comfortable with that and it will create problems at the table. So, and unfortunately, there's a lot of shaming around that I see in, in the, the parenting world of what you're, you're feeding purees or I can't believe that you're, thing, you're feeding finger foods. Isn't, aren't you worried about choking? And neither of those are correct, right? Because babies won't choke from the finger food and purees are fine. We as adults eat purees. We eat applesauce, we eat yogurt, we eat guacamole. I mean, these are purees. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with, with either way or doing both. And, and so it's, a, it's unfortunate that parents often feel that everything is very black and white. I could only do it this way. I could only breastfeed mm. exclusively, or I could only do baby led weaning, or I could only do formula, or I could only do purees. It's not. You could do all, both, either, any. You know, it's really it, listening to you, and I'm thinking about all of the experts out there because we have access to all of these experts. And I follow and I have interviewed many of these experts, but oftentimes an expert takes a different approach than what I'm hearing from you. And it is, you have to do it this way. I mean, that's kind of what a lot of experts do, but I'm I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, this is all coming from all of the research that you do, the science. And, And I love this approach because I do think it's important that we know what else is out there. That we're, you know, we're following these people. We see it and we say, okay, you have it. It's kind of like the news these days. <laughs> we both come from a journalistic background and you think, well, I can listen and I'll be open, but then I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to decide how I feel and I'm still going to expose myself to different opinions, but I have to be secure and feel good about what I'm going to do and then not let the rest of the world influence me. Yeah. I mean, I think that making an informed decision is the most important. So I encourage parents to do their own research or to listen to multiple different experts and then to look at their own child or their own situation and decide for themselves. Again, I'm not talking about safety issues, right? Of course, 
you have to put your baby to sleep on, on his or her back. Don't put bumpers or blankets in the crib under a year old. Uh, those, of course, and, and I will always, you know, be very, very clear about what the research shows and what the data shows and what is the healthiest and safest for your baby. But then there's a whole other part of parenting that doesn't fall into that very black and white part of it, which mm -hmm. is you, this is what is safest and healthiest for your oh. baby. It's you can do this or you can do that. And at the end of the day, your baby will be fine either way. Mm. So with sleeping, let's say, right, there are very, very uh, opinionated people about how best to get your baby to sleep. So I can tell you what I did personally. I can even tell you what I recommend from my own personal experience and research. But when I do coaching, for example, with parents, and the reason why I love to, to do parenting coaching is because I'm able to help that individual parent with their individual needs. Mm. So I have parents who will say to me, I, I'm totally fine letting my baby cry. So tell me how to do it that way. And then I have parents say to me, I do not want my baby to cry even a whimper, but I want my baby to sleep through the night. Help me figure out a way to do it that way. And I'm able to work with parents with both of these scenarios, not because there's one right way mm. to do it, but because there's multiple ways and the right way is the way that will fit that particular parents and baby's needs. And so I think that, that it's such a great reminder for parents to internalize, if you will, that there are experts out there, absolutely. And there are experts who will tell you this is the right way to do it. But do your own research, listen and gather all of that and then make an informed decision. Because if you're making a decision without the information, then you're not doing the best for yourself because you might always have some self-doubt. But if you've gathered all the information and then say, you know, that's not going to work for me, but that is going to work for me. Gosh, you will feel so um, empowered and confident yeah. and ready to tackle anything um, in, the in your parenting experience that's going to come your way. And how powerful is that? It's, it's just incredible. So in, in saying all of that, what do you recommend? And I would think before your baby is even born, and if, if you already have kids and maybe they're elementary or high school, you can still do this. What do you recommend in going through those priorities for your family and saying, I don't have to do it like my neighbor who has really successful kids. And I keep watching all the success that's not working for me. Like, do you think a list of your priorities, your values, like I always say in our family, like we know what our values are because we repeat them, we write them, we, you know, we have these things, but I don't think everybody does that. And I think it's really important so that you can formulate your own parenting style. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think leading by your values is very um, important, especially as you are establishing your family and growing your family. What I always find, again, when I'm coaching parents, a lot of times um, their own experience as a child in their own family informs a lot of how they feel they want to be as parents themselves. So this worked for me, my mother did this and that was great, or I hated when my dad did that helps inform a lot of what they want to do or want to avoid. Yeah. So a lot of times, a lot of the work that I do involves uh, helping the, the parent, this new parent, explore what their own values are, what their own desires are, what their own emotions are. And then once they can figure that out, then they can create a plan for their own child and their own family that really resonates with them and, and feels right for them. So yes, if, if, you, can, if you have the opportunity to sit down with your partner or, you know, if you're a single parent with a friend or a trusted family member and say, you know, this is what I think could work for me. 
this is what I feel my parenting philosophy might mirror. This is what doesn't sit well. I don't like when I see other parents do X, Y, or Z. Having those conversations with people you trust and with yourself can help jumpstart that process. But I will say this, when you, you can do all the prep work in advance, you can have those, those thoughts with yourself, those conversations with your partner, but then reality is going to hit when your baby is, is born and when your baby grows. And then all the challenges that come along with being a parent come at you. And so every day is another opportunity for learning and growth for yourself as a parent, because there are going to be challenges that you didn't expect. And so all the prep work in advance will, will not allow you or will not enable you to have ease of every single day. Mm-hmm. But what it will do is ground you and remind you. Um, if you know that limits are really important for, for kids, which it is, right, for all kids of all ages, from toddlers through teens, children need limits because it helps them feel safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Those boundaries that you set as a parent are really important for children. So if you know that and you've done your research and you understand that that's what the, all the psychology behind parenting shows and what kids need, then when you are dealing with a toddler tantrum, for example, you will be able to remind yourself, okay, I know that I have to impose some limits here because not only will that help with this tantrum, but it is also the healthiest for my baby, my child, my toddler, and also it aligns with my parenting philosophy mm-hmm. that I've thought about and discussed. That will make whatever actions you're about to take as a parent vis-a-vis that tantrum, mm-hmm. it will make it much easier and you won't be filled with doubt or worry or or an inability to decide what to do. And that goes with, you know, for teenagers as well, when the stakes are even higher with the teenage tantrums, limits are important. And if that's what you've decided works well for you and your family, because you've established that as a value for yourself, having that foundational value will be able to inform your parenting decisions and actions throughout your child's life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And defining them, writing them, putting them somewhere. I mean, I'm all about mindset and reminding myself of those things that I believe in and that we as a family believe in, because you could say it. And then a couple of years later, like, oh yeah, I I think that was, but to really reinforce it. And I love that example that you gave of, of limits. Like that might just be something that you think of before you have a baby that comes back when they're a toddler. You're like, oh yeah limits. Okay. I'm going to work on that. And so I love defining that at some point and writing those things down. So you mentioned your coaching and I know you do that along with many other things. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you help people and where they can find you? Sure. Absolutely. So um, everyone can find me on Instagram. I um, am one of those crazy uh, Instagram people who actually answers all of her DMs. So I I love interacting with parents that way. Um, So my Instagram is at Sharon Maisel. I also have a website where I write blogs and I have newsletters and I have courses and I have e-guides and I offer that all for my um, followers or anybody else. And, And my parenting coaching I, I love it when parents just contact me and then they tell me what they want uh, to talk about, to learn about, to ask questions about strategies for, for different challenges that they're having. And for me, that's the best, uh, most rewarding part of what I do because I'm able to help individual parents. And, and when I get the parents will, will, after our sessions, will say, I did this and I worked through that. And it's amazing. The change is incredible. I feel so much better. My baby's doing great. 
So for me, that's just so rewarding. And, and, and I love to do that. And you could just reach out to me via email or my website for that as well. And everything from pregnancy all the way through those younger years and yeah. all of those things that you're able to help people with. And I know your courses align with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do everything from fertility to uh, preschool age. So I also have parents who will, uh, I just did a coaching session for a 14 year old. So that's, I, I, I try to limit it to the preschool um, age as my upper limit. But again, I'm a parent of four. And so even, so I've done my own research, even about my own parent, my own kids over the years. So I certainly know, um, or can give advice on older kids, but yeah, fertility, a lot of, um, I do a lot of information on that because that's another um, topic where we all have these expectations that we're going to, as soon as we decide to ditch the birth control, we're going to all of a sudden get pregnant. And that's not really true. Um, and so that also was one of these expectations that are important for you know expectant or hopeful parents to learn about and understand. So everything from fertility through, you know, preschool age. Oh, I love it that you're a lifelong learner. Continue researching. That's the journalist in both of us. I think we just dig in and then adapt to whatever's happening. You've done a great job with that on social media. I love following you on Instagram. And um, I'm just so Thank glad you. that that we got this time to talk and learn. And I hope we can do it again really soon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love also the the journalist in us because we are lifelong learners and and that's what we are as parents as well, because we're always learning something new. So it's a great synergy. Well, great to talk to you today, Sharon. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining the Natalie Tisdall podcast. You can follow along on Instagram and at natalietisdall.com. Subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave a review so I can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week.